Hey, everybody. Are you with me when I say life can be amazing at times, but it can also be extremely challenging? I know. I've been there myself. Learned some valuable life lessons along the way, and now I'm here to help you. It's no coincidence you found your way to the Relevate podcast. I'm your host, Rena Olson, a self-proclaimed inspirer of others. Together, we're going to dive deep into raw and honest conversations with real people. My hope is that through these stories, you too will be inspired and ready to tackle whatever's holding you back or breaking your heart. Then you'll be free to live a life of purpose and true fulfillment. I promise it's possible. Let's Relevate. Hey, friends, it's Rena Olson. Welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Boy, do I have a fantastic guest for you today. Her name is Kim Sorrell, and she is here to talk us through a deep dive into love, the Jesus way of loving, as captured in 1 Corinthians 13. The love is patient, the love is kind verse that so many of us are familiar with. Kim Sorrell, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Rina, thank you so much. I want to just hang out with you. And I know. But I want to hang well, out with you. You're fabulous. That's what, we're, that's what we're doing. We're hanging and chatting about love. So I always like to start the podcast getting to know you a little bit more. So tell us more about who you are and kind of how we got to today. Sure. So um, I uh, started my first business right out of high school. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I had businesses, um, some you know that I still have and some that have come and gone. And um, I married a man who was the most incredible guy I had ever met. I met him when I was 17 and asked him to marry me 10 days later. And he said, yes. And I That's never cool. thought I'd get married that young, but I did. Uh, and uh, it was great. I, he was a wonderful guy. And then we had uh, four kids of our own and we adopted a son from Dominican Republic. Uh-huh. And I've got 11 grandbabies and I run a nonprofit organization and uh, I enjoy writing and have a real passion for what I've written about now, love um, and the real meaning of love. And um that's, that's who I am, I guess. Very cool. So life was going along just swimmingly and then everything kind of came to a screeching halt. If you want to tell us a little yeah. bit more about that. Yeah, it sure did. Uh, yeah, life was going along swimmingly for sure. And I'd just become empty nesters, uh, my husband and I, and we were so looking forward to that moment. Not that we didn't love our kids. We loved our kids, but excited to, to have some time together And uh, so then I was diagnosed with breast cancer, which was, you know, shocking and whatever, and but something I could get through. And, and then four months later, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and passed away six weeks after that and going crushing. Yeah. Had to just have been so crushing. Uh, yeah, and kind of surreal. Like, you know, um, one cancer diagnosis in a family is a lot. Yeah. You know, that's that's a lot right away to handle. But then to get another, and we had lost my father-in-law two years, almost to the day before my husband was diagnosed, my father-in-law was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Oh and God. at two years, almost to the day, two days apart, um, my husband died um, 
and my cousin, my, my father-in-law died two years earlier, two days, two years and two days different than my husband. Yeah. So uh, certainly not what I planned. I mean, you know, you get married and you're going to be that old couple rocking on the porch, drinking lemonade. And so that was going to be my life. So it was a whole redefining of life at 47 years old. And I wasn't sure what life was going to bring, but it really also made me question love in general and what I really knew about it and, and what it really is. Well, tell me, so you really kind of found a lifeline when you were going through your own cancer treatment and um, being a young widow. Talk to me more about how writing really kind of saved your life. Yeah, so I started writing uh, right after I was diagnosed with cancer because I went to the bookstore and everything seemed so depressing or very medical. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know, what is it like to have breast cancer? You know, what, what do you have to go through? Like, I didn't know that there were choices. I thought you went to a doctor and a doctor tells you what to do and, mm -hmm. and, and that was it. And so, so I started writing first, uh, thinking it was an update for friends and family. Hey, I'm going to the doctor tomorrow kind of thing instead of calling a lot of people. But before I knew it, 5,000 people were, reading my writings and uh, that were so therapeutic for me, right, to write and uh, so wonderful um, to get such incredible support from people. And so I continued to write uh, during my husband's diagnosis. I was still writing, of course, when he passed away. I continued to write for about a year. So was it more of a journaling kind of thing? Kind of. I mean, you know, it was long enough ago that it wasn't like a Facebook post or something it was email done through email and um it, it was more kind of journaling but definitely a conversation with, right. you know that I was having with myself and with people so uh I, and that turned into a book cry until you laugh is the name of that book and um that was very therapeutic and the things I learned like for instance mm -hmm. um I uh, had to have a mastectomy, but I could choose to just have one uh, side done or, or have both. And we were sitting around the dinner table one night and I was talking to my kids and saying, gosh, you know, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what choice to make. And my son, Paul, he said, mom, would you get new siding on just half the house? And I went, oh, that makes good sense, son. Yep, there's my decision right there. I went for the two. And so, yeah. Laugh until you cry. That, that's, right. that's good advice. <laughs> yeah. Or is it crying to cry? Okay, sorry. <laughs> like the two can kind of go hand in hand. <laughs> kind of the story of life, you know? Right. Yeah, so true. Mm. So true. But yes. Yeah, because that's what yeah. we need to do, right? I mean, yeah, the tears come and and I miss my husband like crazy. Like if I could change it, I would in a heartbeat. Like if he walked through the door right now, I'd be so happy. It would be wonderful. I'd, I'd love it. I'd love to have him here, but I don't get to pick that. That's not a choice, but I do get to pick what life brings for me now. And I choose joy. You know, I, I choose to be happy. I choose to live my life fully for the Lord and live my life fully for me and and to try to help people around me. And, you know, I, I, I want to be here, you know, I'm here, so I might as well be fully here. And I think that is such testament to the man he was in the relationship that you had, that 
you know, you have found the strength to go on. I mean, you're living for the both of them. You're the surviving parent. I mean, it's, they need you as, as full and whole as possible and as joy filled, you know, that's, that's the best gift you can give him in honoring his legacy. But I know it can't be easy at times. Yeah, I'll tell you the times that it's the hardest, I think really is all of my kids are adults and have kids and have jobs, they pay taxes, you know, they're (laughs) functioning members of society. I know, yeah, that that feels good. But um, the hardest times lately, it seems, are when they remember something from their childhood that isn't quite the way they remember it. And I wish so badly my husband were here to go, oh, no, you know, what your mom's saying is right. That's not exactly how it happened. Like, it'd be nice to have a little backup <laughs> that way. But, um, I, yeah, he was a great guy. I, I just have never felt like I could begrudge him in any way or be angry. Uh, he was a very faithful man on his face before God every day, just chased God his whole life. And, and um great guy with a great story and a wonderful man and got to go to heaven at 51. I mean, not paying any more bills or getting sick and, you know, that, that's okay for him. I mean, good for him. He, he did it right. Sure. For sure. So, um, so let's transition and talk about your latest book because it just sounds so amazing. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I promise you I will. Um, so finish this sentence for us. Love is. Patience. You want me to take it to give a word? Yeah. Okay. So uh, love is patient. The very first month. So I thought I knew what patience was, or I think I I do know what patience is. You're not honking your horn if you're stuck in traffic. You're not angry and upset if you're ready to go when somebody's not ready to go, right? That's showing patience. Uh, But I figured out that if you put love is or love is not in front of any word, it changes the definition of the word. Mm -hmm. And it's no longer what Noah Webster wrote in the dictionary. So love that is patient, I figured out, is, first of all, I believe you're supposed to love everybody. So if you love everybody, then you recognize that uh, this moment, the person you're with, you love them enough to recognize that this moment is the most important moment of your life. What's in the past is in the past, and what's in the future is yet to come. This moment is going to come and go with or without you. Mm -hmm. And if you love the person you're with, then you are fully here recognizing that how important this moment is. You don't lose the moment by thinking ahead about the meeting that you have later in the day or stopping at the grocery store on your way home or, you know, the guilty of that. Oh, it's so easy, right? It's so easy to be distracted in conversation. When I figured out what love that is patient is, it has taken me a lot of practice to get to where I am today, um, where I can be fully engaged and fully in the moment and not constantly be distracted because life is busy. We're all busy. You know, women are, we are busy, right? And so it's so easy to be having our mind on something else when we're with somebody and then we miss it. We miss it. And love that is patient doesn't miss the moments. It's here. It's right here, right now. So amazing. So 
tell me the title of your new book and really kind of what the inspiration was for it. Sure. So Love Is uh, is the title of the book. Um, and uh, I was inspired by a couple different things. One, like I said, just wanting to figure out the real meaning of love. You know, you go to a bookstore and it's not like there's a manual or a love for dummies or, a, you know, some way to learn about love. We learn about love from our parents, from whoever is around our us. Our friends, our teenage friends. Yes, our kids. I don't know, whoever, right? Our pets. Yeah, true, true. Uh, but not everything we call love is love. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of negative things out there that are called love. So let's let's pause on that for a minute. Um, talk us through some of those things that we might think are love, but really are not love. Sure. I, I mean, there are some things that are obvious. Um, you know, there are, are, are people that hurt people that say that they love them, but do a lot of damage to them, you know, um, through abuse, uh, through whatever, even the way we treat each other sometimes, you know, we, we love our friends, but then say something nasty about them behind their back well that's Mm -hmm. not love right or um or love our spouse but then I don't know say mean things you know we tend to hurt the ones closest to us the most and and so that's not real love you know so those kind of things and you know even things like um like having too much pride like uh thinking that you're better than than somebody that you know, you got your act together more than other people do or whatever. That, that's not love. You know, that, that isn't love. But we'll say it's love. We'll say, oh, I love them so much. You know, love you. You know, whatever. But we throw it around pretty easy these days. We and do. I think we, we, we say it more than we used to. I think so, too. I think so, too. Like, I, I am really casually like, love you. Yeah. Yeah. Casually, for sure. Yeah. I think, you know, that has changed for me. Like, um, when I say I love you, I mean it. And I, and understanding love more, I really, really mean it. Mm -hmm. And so I do have friends that, you know, at the end of every conversation, we're like, okay, love you. And, and I know the, you know, the depths that that comes from, and it's not just a casual thrown out there. And like my, I don't know about you or but I, I feel like I'm in a, we're in a different generation where we told our kids all the time that we loved them. That's not something I heard a lot growing up from my parents, but I think we're, you know, people more and more and more uh, realize the importance of letting people know that you really do love them, but with sincerity, right? Well, and I think the cool thing about this verse in particular, Jesus wasn't talking about that wonderfully exclusive love of spouse and family. Love is a much bigger concept than that. Right, right. right. It's exactly. love of neighbor. It's um, love of friend. It's love of those who are uh, hard to love. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very tall order that he gave us in that one beautiful chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. It's so true. And, and, and John tells us that God is love. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, what does that mean? I mean, if God is love, then if you understand love, real love, the kind of love that God has for us, and then live it, 
let it be not an emotion, like, you know, fear is an emotion or Mm -hmm. whatever, things that come and go, um, our emotions come and go, right? Mm -hmm. But love doesn't come and go. Love is walking and talking and living and breathing. And it's, it's, it's who you are. It's what you exude. It's how you live your life. You know, there's a whole uh, WWJD uh, movement from, from before that still, you can still buy bracelets and whatever, right? What would Jesus do? And uh, Jesus is different to everybody. You know, to, to some, he is light and truth and all things wonderful and God and savior. And to others, he's a heretic. You know, to some, he's an angry God tipping over tables and to some, he's a prophet. And so people might answer that question differently. What would Jesus do? You know, it might not be a universal answer, but love is universal and God is love. So if we replaced love with, Jesus and that, and what would love do? An answer based on that, then we should be living the way we're supposed to be living and living the way we're intended to be living toward each other. It's, um, it's so simple, but it's so complex and so, so difficult to live out. It sounds think- so easy, but it's so right. difficult. And I'm sure that on your year long journey, um, let's talk a little bit more about that because I find that it's just such an interesting way to truly immerse yourself in this verse little by little. Talk to me a little bit about the process of that because I find that so fascinating. Yeah, so I, uh, the beginning of every month, I mean, I just really focused on what the next word was and it was at the forefront of my mind. And it was interesting because after I got through the first month, then the next month I'm trying to live love that is patient while figuring out what love that is kind is. And then the next month I'm working on those two while figuring out the next one. And, um, and I just kept it always on my mind and like always in my mouth, love is patient, love is patient, love is patient, love is patient and looked for it mm-hmm. and prayed about it. And, you know, Lord pointed out to me, what does this mean? What does this mean? And it took me a long time to figure out each one. Like I needed the whole month to really figure out. And what was so interesting though about it is as I was working on it, I knew that I was little by little, maybe the door was opening and I was beginning to see, but it would take a special something with every single word. It was a aha moment. You know, finally I arrived. Oh, this is what love that is kind is. This is Can you give us an example? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Like uh, uh, love doesn't keep record of wrongs. Mm -hmm. You know, you think you know what that means. You know, you shouldn't keep record of wrongs, but you don't forget what happened to you. Right. I mean, you know, and and you hear forgive and forget. Well, you don't really forgive and forget because how do you forget? You don't wipe wipe your memory out. And uh, so I I wasn't sure about that one. Like that one I thought would be a a challenge and it was. And, um, but I was in Haiti. I, uh, there were eight men from the States that wanted to see a water project that I was working on in Haiti and uh, to see if they wanted to get involved in it. And most of them were pastors, real nice men. And so I brought two of my Haitian friends with me to translate, also men and um, help in the project. And uh, we went out to a remote area in Haiti and got to where we were going to stay. And we got there and there was a little building behind a cement wall. 
And there were two rooms in the building and each room had four twin size beds. Mm -hmm. And so eight American men, two Haitian men and me. So the head guy of the eight guys pulled me over. Hey, Kim, Kim, can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? And I'm like, sure, yeah. And he said, did you see the rooms? And I'm thinking, well, buddy, there's nothing else to see. I mean, there's <laughs> nothing else here. So yeah, I saw the rooms. And then I thought, oh, he's asking me because I'm a woman. He's going to think I want my own room. <laughs> so I'm going to say to him, oh, um, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he'll say, oh, no, no. If anybody should sleep outside, it, sleep inside, it should be you. And then I'll say, well, I don't care if there's other people in my room. And he'll go, oh, good, good. Because you know, there's only so many beds and there's only so much room. And so it'd be hard if you had your own room. And so I said to him, well, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he went, oh, good, good. That's such a relief because there are men that are with us that would be uncomfortable with a woman in their room. And Haiti is hot. You go in your room at night to sleep. You, you don't go in to play cards or anything else. You're yeah. going in to sleep. So I'm thinking, what does he think is going to happen between 10 o'clock at night and six o'clock in the morning? You know, like what is going to happen? But I thought, well, I offered, you know, so I'm sleeping outside and I was there to serve them basically, you know, introduce them to the project. So I looked around and I found a piece of plywood and then these sort of, you know, sawhorses, uh, Haitian style. So I thought, well, if I sleep under the plywood, at least if it rains, then I won't get rained on. And we brought an air mattress with us and, um, and we had a couple cots. So my Haitian friends were able to sleep on cots. I actually was a little more disappointed, honestly, that uh, the eight American men assumed they should just get the inside beds and didn't even offer yes. um, to my friends and uh, just assumed that they wouldn't get the inside rooms. And there was room for the cots in there. And, uh, but there was an overhang that they were able to sleep under. So that's where they slept. So I'm on the ground on my air mattress. And my biggest fear was that something would bite me, crawl on me, you know, yeah. whatever in the night, because there's tarantulas and there's snakes and there are chupacabras or something. I don't know, whatever there are, <laughs> there, there are things you don't want touching you, right? Or you don't want to be near. And so uh, I slept on my back thinking, okay, well, that'd be the easiest way to jump up and run if I needed to jump up and run. So first night I went to bed and the, for about the first hour the air mattress held air and then I'm just on the gravel and uh, it was so loud because horns were honking and dogs were barking and it was so loud and then finally the loudness died down like midnight one o'clock and then like two o'clock in the morning the voodoo drums started in the distance and so that kept me awake for a while, you know, and finally, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning that settled down and I was able to get some sleep. And so first night came and went, nothing bad happened, all was well, and I was grateful. Went to bed the second night again, my air mattress was deflated in an hour and, and I'm praying, Lord, just don't let anything come to me. Don't, you know, keep the critters away. And uh, so again, it was, you know, the horns and the dogs and the booty drums and finally sleep. And I woke up because there was something on my leg. Oh. And I was scared to death, right? And so I slowly lift my head, slowly open my eyes because I didn't want to jerk 
uh, and have it bite me. Like, is there an anti-venom in the country? You know, am I going to be airlifted to Miami? Like, am I going to survive this? Whatever it is. <laughs> and so I slowly opened my eyes and what was on my leg was a chicken. <laughs> it was a chicken. And I didn't know whether to be mad at the chicken for waking me up or relieved that it wasn't a big tarantula, you know, like I didn't know, but I shoot it away, you know, oh all was well, whatever. Well, the third night came and went, no incidents, you know, so all was well, fourth night. So again, the noise, the voodoo drums, et cetera. And, um, and then again, there was something that woke me up because uh, it was on my leg. Huh. I thought, oh no, what could this possibly be? So again, I lifted my head and slowly opened my eyes. And again, it was the dang chicken. It was that chicken. And again, I didn't know whether to be mad or what. And I shoot it away. And and we had chicken. Your that friend. Night. Yeah, I guess so. But we had chicken that night for dinner. So I figured maybe the next night I would be able to sleep a little bit more. But um, you know, at first. I was kind of angry at these guys. Like, you know, I went five nights with very little sleep and I can do that. I mean, that's not that big a deal, but I just thought, boy, I hope my sons, if they were ever in a position like that, they wouldn't have yeah. done that to the lone woman. You know, I'm all about equality and about, you know, mm -hmm. fair pay. And I mean, you know, whatever, but I am a woman, you know, and there exactly. are differences between men and women. And, you know, so anyway, so at first I was bitter. And, you know, kind of angry and going, who do these guys think they are, you know, and why are they treating me like this? And this just isn't right. And then I realized love does not keep a record of wrongs mm -hmm. and bitterness only hurts us. Right. And only the person that you're bitter toward, they don't know. And it's not hurting them one bit. So bitterness, first of all, isn't something we should ever carry around, but which is built into that verse. But to me, love that doesn't keep record of wrongs, doesn't forget the story. I'll never forget that time. Yeah. But the narrative changes, the tone of it changes. So instead of being angry at these guys for making me sleep outside, now to me, it's just this funny story. I can sleep literally anywhere in the world and be just fine. <laughs> and uh, I have no bitterness, no I don't, you know, carry a grudge. I have no ill will or anything else toward these guys. Not keeping a record of wrongs just changes the tone. It changes the story from, from something that is ugly, mm -hmm. uh, void of love to, okay, it's something that happened and I'm not going to hold it against them. And when you hold on to that, that is, um, you know, it, it, impacts you a whole lot more than it does you know the person that you're kind of angered towards um, absolutely really, and that you know the whole the whole ministry of you know Jesus's whole life it was it's just upset upside down living again and again he challenges us um so Kim that's such a great story um and that chicken that's kind of funny that found its way to you a couple times um so who do you hope reads this book? Uh, you know, I'd love to say the whole world. <laughs> um, I just, I would love uh, for whoever wants to grow in their life and, and wants a life of love um, to read the book. Uh, I really believe that what I learned um, will change your life 
uh, certainly it changed my life. And, and it could be that there's a whole lot of people out there that already have a greater understanding of love than I went into this project with. Um, I'm sure that there are, but I think there's always things that we can learn from each other. And uh, I just believe that love changes everything and real, real love really changes everything. And it's, it's needed in our world. It's needed with each other. It brings people together. It stops the them and us mentality. You know, it's, we're all equal and everybody's got a name and we're all valuable mm -hmm. and uh, everybody gets to be who God created them to be. And we get to just love them. We get to just love. When I help people who don't really have faith will give this book a chance because it's not, it's not a Christian book, right? right. Jesus was a Jew. He was, um, but his teachings are just so beautifully um, unraveled, you know, through your words and your stories and your lived experience. So I hope, I hope people will give it, will give it a chance that normally wouldn't pick up a book based on scripture. Right, right, right. And, you know, and some people aren't necessarily going to recognize it as scripture. Mm. You know, it is just this beautiful poem that was written way back when, and um, that just has some great truths in it. You know, it's a, there's other people that we really admire, you know, men of peace that have been women of peace. Mother Teresa, I am a great fan of Mother Teresa and the, and the things that and I love reading. Uh, things that she said and you know it's it's the same thing you know Jesus was a man of peace and love and so to uh, emulate anybody who lives a life like that is um, what we should want to do well and I love the fact that you are giving yourself away living a life of service and you really invested a lot of your heart and your time and your resources in Haiti Talk to us a little bit more about, um, about all of that. And, and your adopted son is there now, which is very, very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I started working uh, more in the Dominican Republic. And um, my son is from the Dominican Republic. And there we have uh, um, schools. Uh, we've got vocational training, uh, water projects. Clean water is uh, such a needed thing in our world. More people die from dirty water than anything else and things that we take for granted, you know, turning a tap on and putting a glass underneath and you don't do that in most of the world. And um, we just uh, opened our first medical clinic there and uh, we do community projects and whatever. And, um, but we do work in other countries too and uh, Haiti, a lot in Haiti. And um, we just partner with people. We walk alongside people, people that, uh, from their own country that they have a passion, a mission, a vision to do something to help people in their own country, you know, through medical care or through clean water or through education, you know, whatever it happens to be. And they understand the culture and they understand the language and they understand the need. And I think, you know, we, we live in this great country that we have so many freedoms and so many things right at our fingertips, right? That a lot of people don't have. And uh, so we think we know more. Somehow we think that makes us smarter and it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't make us, it makes us more fortunate, right? That we, to be born here, but we could have been born someplace else. 
And, uh, but it does make us smarter. You know, there's a whole lot of smart people in the world. And, and uh, but we tend to want to go in with our agenda and go, oh, we know what you need. Mm -hmm. Well, no, you know, if somebody came to us and said, I know what you need, I, I'd go, oh, no, you probably don't. You know, you don't really know, exactly. you know, right? And so uh, we just work with people and um, they figure out the need and, and we help with funding or we help with manpower or we help with uh, things that they can't get in the country, medical supplies, whatever it happens to be, and always leading towards self-sustainability, mm -hmm. uh, coming up with some sort of a project so they're not always chasing money. So, I love that. Yeah. I love that. And the name of that organization is? It's Rays of Hope International. Rays like a sun ray, R-A-Y-S of Hope International. Oh, that's so wonderful. I think I mentioned to you that I've had the true privilege to work with a very similar organization that does work in Tanzania called Uboratizi. And just the words coming out of your mouth are identical to, you know, how we come alongside. It's it's never us going in with a solution for their problems. It's, it's us, you know, helping them, you know, realize their vision and and um, ultimately, you know, it's a give a man a fish kind of mentality that, you know, the ultimate goal is for us to, you know, be able to, to part at some point and say goodbye and, you know, watch them flourish. You know, that is, that is our goal. And I'm sure that's your goal as well for your wonderful friends in Haiti. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And in Burkina Faso, Kenya and Dominican Republic. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you ever get this or not, Rena, and it certainly ties in with love, but People sometimes uh, will say to me, oh, there's so much need at home. You know, why are you doing work in Haiti? Why are you doing work, you know, someplace else? There's so much need here. My answer to that is that's absolutely true, that there is need here. There's no doubt about it. And uh, and I, I help here. I volunteer. I, I do what I can here. But there's need all over the world. And um, And if everybody just did something we'd live in a different world. And quite often it's the people that aren't really doing anything that will say, why are you working? You know, why are you not working here? It's like, well, you know, that that's not love either. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's judging you. And, and um, you go where you're called, mm -hmm. you do what you're called to do and you listen to the call, right? Because right. we're well, all called to do something. Yeah. And the, the need is, it's it's different. I mean, we we there's we all have needs, uh, but in America we have such beautiful social fabric, education system. I mean, all of that. You know, you call nine one one and an ambulance comes and gets you, and modern medicine. All of that is just right there. These countries, I mean, people are still starving. They don't have access to ibuprofen and clean water. I mean, it's, you can't, you can't even compare the two. Right. Right. It's, it's so true. It's, uh, you know, it's wonderful people living in horrible conditions. Right. right. And um, yeah, I mean, the average Haitian needs three meals a week. Um, to me, one of the biggest differences with our country is we have a safety net. We have programs out there. There's no social security. There's no Medicare, no Medicaid. There's no, um, there's no healthcare in Tanzania. I mean, there's very little healthcare right. in Tanzania. Yeah. Or, or in Haiti. I mean, there, 
there's um, in so many countries and there's, there's no safety net. You know, if you don't have a job, you don't eat, you know, there's uh, no food bank. There's no anything, anything that we have here. For a few warriors that are saying, send me, send me, Lord, I'll, I don't know what I can do, but I'll figure it out while I'm there. Mm -hmm. So um, I heard you say through learning to love like Jesus, we turn confrontation into conversation. Separated by disease and discourse, the one thing that can bring us together is love. Do share more on this. Kim. Sure. I mean, we're so divided. Uh, unfortunately, in our country, and COVID has not helped that at all. You know, there's the Democrats and the Republicans, the vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and people think, well, you know, if you believe this way, you can't be a Christian, or you're not a good person if you belong to this party, or if you get vaccinated, or if you don't get vaccinated, and and none of that stuff matters. You know, those are opinions. Those aren't that's not your life. You know, those are things you might believe, things you might feel like you need to hang your hat on. But the reality is I have great friends that are Republicans and they think if you're a Democrat, how can you be a Christian? I have great friends that are Democrats and they think if you're a Republican, how can you be a Christian? And uh, people don't necessarily understand that, that that's the way the world is. I mean, that's the truth of it. We have a lot more in common with each other than not. But uh, when you love, um, it should never be a confrontation. When you love, love that his patient listens, right? And love that doesn't boast, that doesn't uh, stand up and say, I'm, I'm better than you, I'm better than, um, has ears to hear. And when you have conversation, when it doesn't escalate into, you know, they think like this and they, well, no, you're having a conversation with one or two people or however many people, right, that all have names. They're all just people like you are and have conversation. It's amazing when you keep it at a conversational level and actually listen to the words being said without these preconceived notions, you can learn a lot. And your opinion may or may not change, but at least you'll know where somebody else is coming from. And, and that's love. If, if they want to believe that way, that's okay. If they want to vote a certain way, that's okay. That doesn't make them bad or make them unlovable. You love and, and be open to the conversation. I think when you flip down that filter of love, <laughs> And you really commit to living life that way, it, it changes you. It changes the way you look at things in your heart and the way you respond. And um, it's, it is not easy because, you know, you get that little adrenaline rush and you just want to say something, but um, that is right. love. Especially if you're watching the news, right? I know. <laughs> and they can get you worked up. Hi, they, bait, they bait you. That's how they keep you know, eyeballs on the screen, keep you watching. That's right. That's right. Probably one of the most best things that you can do if you really love yourself is maybe turn the channel, you know, watch, watch <laughs> go outside and go for a walk or something. <laughs> yeah. Go outside for a walk. Go on a mission trip. Yeah. So I, um, I love the fact that, you know, it's, 
when you look at somebody, you, you don't really, you don't know where they, they've been in their life. And I think you exude so much joy and happiness. Uh, one would not begin to suspect that you've had such heartbreak in your life. So talk to me how you've turned your pain into purpose and how that has opened doors for you. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, we all go through stuff, right? We all have stuff and you can either wallow in it. You can either stay in the moment of grief or you can either wallow in self-pity or, you know, you, you can pick to do that if that's what you want to do. But if you can take the bad things that have happened to you and use them for good, you know, what the devil is meant for bad, God turns it into good, right? So if you can use it for good by, by helping somebody who's going through the same thing that you've gone through. My mom committed suicide in 1990. And boy, that was, uh, holy cow, so hard. But today, now, and for years, I'm able to um, meet with somebody who has lost somebody that way and relate to them a whole different way. And because I'm uh, this many years out from it and have learned so much more about it, I can pour into somebody the knowledge that I have and the, give a different level of comfort and um, understanding because I went through it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the same thing with losing my husband um, and going through diseases and, and whatever, you know, I've had lots of stuff in my life, but when you've done it, when you've been there, done it, you can have sympathy if you've not been through it. You can have empathy. You can, you know, feel bad for someone who's going through it, but you're not going to understand it as well as someone who actually has walked that path. Mm -hmm. And so to take those bad things that happen to us in life and get out of the wallow, you know, cry until you laugh, right? But laugh again, and then look for opportunities to minister to people, to just love on people who are going through the same thing. That really is the best medicine. Once, once you're ready, it's to, to pour into other people. I'm so glad you brought that up on numerous occasions, because I think um, so many of us don't pull that lever enough. You, you can't pull it too much. And um, the joy that, that awaits you, it's just, um, it's hard to describe. And it is pure love. It is, absolutely. And, and it's, a, it's a choice, right? I mean, you have to make the choice that that's what you're going to do, that that's what you want your life to look like. That's, that's the way you want to live. Um, but it's, it's a really good choice to make. Well, Kim, I've enjoyed chatting with you so much. So tell me the name of the book again and how people can get in touch with you. Sure. So Love Is is the name of the book. And uh, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble stores. You know, there's a lot of brick and mortar stores um, are carrying the book. It's um, only been out for a month. And after just a couple of weeks, it was a number one bestseller, a number one uh, new release and is up for some awards and which the part about that that's good is not the accolades or anything like that but that I believe so strongly in the message like I believe so strongly that if we really understand love we understand each other better and can and the whole world could be a different place and so anyway so my book's available um, I'm on 
all social media platforms, Kim Sorrell, there's lots of letters. <laughs> and so uh, I'm available all the time and um, love it when people reach out. So, well, my adult kids may be getting a copy of this for Valentine's Day. I think it would be just such a wonderful guy. And my husband, <laughs> yeah. I'll let him read my copy, maybe. <laughs> There you go. Well, I've heard of couples even doing it together now. Yeah, and a Bible study. Bible I think it'd make a great yeah. Bible study because mm -hmm. we all need to, to learn to love better for sure. So one last question for you. The, the word relevate means to uplift or to restore to good spirits. Close us out with a little something more about love. Love, when you break it down, when you slice it up, when you dissect it, the overall umbrella of love is that it is complete freedom. There is no freedom like love. When you love the way God intends us to love, the way God loves us, the way we should be loving each other, the real meaning of love, you are free to just love. You no longer have to judge or, or condemn or um, think that there's ulterior motives for something. You can take people at their word. You can uh, just love people. It is, it is the greatest freedom ever. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing this refreshing message. I just wish you the best on your journey and know there will be another book in your future. And hopefully I'll get to meet you one day in person. And hug Oh my gosh. Out. Yeah. Let's set up a coffee date. I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> Sounds perfect. You take care. Keep shining sister. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Thank you. So I don't know about you, but I've got some work to do in the love category. Let's take a listen to first Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trust, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. To my Relevate listeners, let's take this on, loving each other as God loves us and as he taught us. Special thanks to my guest, Kim Sorrell, for her wonderful contributions to humanity. Your words have power and are truly making me a better person. To connect with Kim, you can find her online at Kim Sorrell, and that is spelled S-O-R-R-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. And to connect with yours truly, visit rena-olson.com. And on my new social channels, exclusively for the 50 and Up Club at maturus.net. M-A-T-U-R-U-S dot net. This is Rena Olson, and this is Relevate.